I remember living in New York City, great time of my life, <laughs> when I was quite a bit younger. A friend of mine lived in a pretty decent apartment building. It was on uh, West 57th Street, I believe, which Hell's Kitchen, which in those days was not gentrified. It's only beginning to be gentrified, really. Still an, an iffy place. It was the one time I lived in New York that I was followed by some sketchy-looking characters. Anyway, it was still gritty. So this friend of mine had a neighbor who was really very mentally ill, um, and I'm not making fun of that at all, trust me. But his family had rented this apartment for him across the hall, and basically he lived there alone, and it didn't seem like he was very well treated. His mental illness was very well treated, like in treatment, because when I'd go visit my friend, sometimes this man would just be wandering the halls, like he'd stare at you, mutter something, he was dirty, smelly, it was really disturbing. And I've, I'm not blaming him, I feel sorry for him, but scared the hell out of me, to be honest with you. I tried to avoid him, to sneak around and hide so I wouldn't have to see him. Have you ever had a weird neighbor? Someone who is kind of disturbing or different? Well, imagine that your neighbor was indeed a strange but quiet man. Uh, his apartment begins to smell funny. Some weird smell coming from his apartment. And then the water lines in the building get clogged. Um, hmm. Come to find out, well, you have to wait and see a minute. All right. A couple of things. Well, first of all, I'd like to welcome you to Fangs and Folklore, which is the world's best podcast and video channel for all things horror. I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert in all things paranormal, supernatural, horror, scary, and fun. I'm a horror writer from the depths of the haunted swamps of Louisiana, and I welcome you to my frightening world. Please check out my books online. The first one is called Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story. It's number one of the Gravedigger series. It's about a punk rock band who really suck but they keep coming across these monsters and creatures of the night, and they have to deal with those. It's comedy horror. It's fantastic. Very entertaining. Part 5 is about to come out. It's a six-part series. Part 4 just came out. 5 is about to come out. So it's almost finished, almost all available now. I wanted to uh, say that Volume 1 is available in audiobook, and Volume 2 is ready to go for audiobook. I, I posted it, and it's just waiting for Amazon to review it, so that'll be very soon. Um, I do also want to mention here in the studio uh, of Fangs and Folklore in the uh, the um, basement of the abandoned castle in the haunted forest. I've come. I found some cats. They were like, meow, you know, pawing at the door. I let them in. They become kind of the studio cats, the castle cats. So if you hear some running back and forth and scratching and meowing, that's what that's them, right? They love being down here in the in the basement with me when I do the show. And still not 100% sure about the wall and what's going on here. I think I'm just going to leave that one alone and not investigate any any further into this wall. Uh, hmm. Yeah, so let's do a wine review. Oh, did you notice the hair is not mohawk? No, oh, they're the castle cats. Fantastic. They just love to uh, ruin the show with some extra extra uh, studio noise there. You notice I'm not wearing the mohawk slash faux hawk today, and there's a huge important reason for that. Okay, you ready? Don't tell anyone. I didn't feel like it. Yeah, so shh. Right, some days you just don't feel like going through the, the uh, pomade routine. <laughs> I look like a Norm, well, I don't, I never look like a normal person, but I look a bit more normal today. Let's do the wine review. Today's wine, okay. You know, I like to do a wine review in the start of every show. It is called Tesoro, I'm going to put a picture of the label up there, but Tesoro della Regina, which my Italian is not great, but I know that must mean the treasure of the queen, very similar to French, Tresor, uh, le trésor uh, de la reine, right? Tesoro della Regina. Chianti Classico, one of my favorite styles, varieties, uh, is the um, Sangiovese grape. 2019, so it's, it's very young. It's rated a 92 by James Suckling. 
I'm not a huge fan of James Suckling's ratings. I prefer Wine Spectator, but if he rates something highly, it's probably not going to be terrible. So let's take a look. Here we have the skull mug that I found, uh, goblet that I found here in the Haunted Castle. Uh, let's see. So we're going to see how it smells. On the nose, there's a very distinct smell of alcohol, the alcohol smell, and I'm not getting a whole lot of a whole lot of aroma, to be frankly. It's kind of frankly, it's kind of kind of weak. Um, I do detect a slight bit of vanilla, very subtle vanilla, a tad of oak, and a little bit maybe of a of a blackberry or a raspberry. Um, let's go ahead and taste it. All right, tastes better than it smells. More, uh, it has more fuller flavors in the when you drink it. So I'm I'm detecting here that characteristic characteristic Sangiovese dryness, but also with some blackberry, some raspberry, a little vanilla, and some oak for sure. And uh, the tannins are I'd say mild to medium. Excuse me, I have an eye. Uh, I have an eye. If you haven't noticed, I have an eyeball here. So yeah, the uh, the uh, so the fruit elements there, a little bit of oak. Uh, tannins, mild to medium, and um, I don't know. It's, it comes off across a little strong on the alcohol. Uh, it's not a you know it's a standard wine, but it uh, maybe that will mellow out as it breathes a bit more. You know, as I drink it throughout the show. All right, so all that administrative stuff out of the way. Castle Cat Skull Mug Wine Review. All right, so we're talking in this series about serial killers, right? Last time we looked at Albert Fish, the child eater, really creepy guy. Tonight, we're going to examine the life of another serial killer who was also into cannibalism and also into children, which is never a good combination, you know. Um, my disclaimer again, uh, many of us are fascinated with serial killers for non-nefarious reasons, right? Just because you study serial killers doesn't mean you are one. So I hereby want to say that I condemn hurting and killing other people, period. Okay? I'm looking at these killers precisely because they are so horrible and inhuman and thus interesting. Tonight... Talking about the German serial killer, and in German his name would be pronounced Joachim Kroll. Joachim Kroll. In English, maybe Joachim, but uh, Joachim Kroll. So J-O-A-C-H-I-M, if you want to look him up. Last name Kroll, K-R-O-L-L. -L. His nicknames were the Ruhr Cannibal, Ruhr, uh, the place, and the Duisburg Maneater. Hey, okay. This guy was a real piece of work. I'm just going to tell you that. Now... You have to feel sorry for some of these killers in their childhood. Not in what they did, but their childhood. He was born in 1933 during the, the beginning of the Nazi regime in Germany. And he was the youngest of eight children. His family was poor. Didn't have a lot to eat, right? Keep that in mind that he grew up hungry and poor. Keep that in mind for later. He was considered weak, like a weak boy. And his family and his community apparently constantly, like, I don't know, were on his case. Uh, calling him weak and making fun of him. So, yeah... Couple that with an unstable upbringing during World War II, and you have a recipe for a disaster. So, he was a frequent bedwetter as a child and abused animals, even sexually abused them. You may have heard of the um, McDonald triad. It's, it, you've probably heard it said that serial killers, they wet their bed, they, uh, there's three things. They sexually abuse animals, and, and, and uh, I forget the third one, but it, scientifically, this is not, a, um, not considered super reliable or definite. It's just a thing that this person, McDonald, noticed that a lot of violent people later in life tended to have those things in childhood, but many didn't also. But anyway, he did wet his bed, then he uh, did uh, abuse and sexually abuse animals. Okay, like many other families in Germany in World War II, they were extremely poor and hungry, okay? 
His father was a soldier in the German army, a Nazi, yeah, but a lot of those guys didn't have much choice, really. He was, he was taken as a prisoner of war by the Russians, by the communists, under Stalin, and believed to have died there. Uh, nothing was ever heard from him again, so that leaves the mother and eight children, right? Poor and hungry, yeah. So he quit school in 1948. Uh, he had to repeat several grades, apparently not a great student, and uh, he was 15 years old. Only had a fourth grade education at that point. Um, later in life, he did an IQ test and came out with a 78, which is kind of not great. But uh, IQ tests, anyway, they're, they're biased and they're not always accurate, but just to give you kind of a gauge there. Some people say he didn't know how to read, although uh, that's debatable. So one of his first jobs, or maybe his first job, he took a job as a farmhand, right, working on a farm. And this is where something changed in him, something clicked. He saw pigs being slaughtered. And when he saw the blood and the gore, it aroused him sexually. He said that, quote, it awakened my sex drive, close quote. I'm not sure how that connection was formed, pig's blood and sex. <laughs> you know, normally that's not a connection, but um, I don't know. I don't know what form. Something else in his childhood formed this connection. Was he just born this way? I don't know. I don't know. Now, we do know that some people have paraphilias, meaning sexual desire outside the norm. That involve blood and some and pain and so forth, but... You know, a lot of a lot of most of the time that's controlled and consensual. Uh, he's just seeing a pig being slaughtered and getting horny. <laughs> he, uh, when he was a young man, he did uh, have a relationship with a woman, but he said he felt inadequate and sex was a big disaster. It never happened. He said it was a failure. Um, he said that he wanted to have sex with quote someone who could not complain about his performance. Close quote. Well, that opens up a whole world of of terrible things, doesn't it? A lot of who, who doesn't complain about your performance? Corpses? Children? I don't know. You know. Uh, in 1955, his mother died. Always traumatic for anyone, even someone with a tough, tough childhood. They basically, the family split up. And I think he didn't really talk to his siblings after that at all, if anything. So that year, uh, February 8th, 1955, is when he had his first kill. Okay, so he goes to the village of Waldstetter. And there he came across this girl, 19 years old, uh, Irmgard Streil, and she was going for a walk. What he did, he just came up beside her, talked to her, then grabbed her, pulled her into some, into some trees, strangled her, then raped her, then cut her stomach open. Right? There's his first kill. And what really turned him on was the blood and gore. Okay, Not the, uh, I don't know, not the sex with a woman part, but the blood and the gore. <clears throat> he, he did often rape his victims after they died, when they were dead. And he also masturbated over their bodies. In fact, I believe this was the case where the, the police found so much semen on her, they thought it was more than one person who had done it, but apparently he just got really excited. And he had this weird habit. After he would kill, he would go home, he had this sex doll. He would have sex with the sex doll while strangling a doll of a child, a child doll. Um, it's kind of remember the uh, reminisce on the kill. You might hear the crickets there, the cicadas outside. Uh, there's pretty strong in the forest. The sound gets all through here all the way through the walls to the basement Which is incredibly annoying when you're trying to record something with good quality audio the cats and the cicadas All right next murder June 16th 1959 so four years later He comes across 24 year old Clara Freide Tesmer in Rhine and her murder was identical to Ermgard the first one So here he kills her well. He, he tricks her grabs her strangles her uh, rapes her, cuts her up, but here is where he begins his trademark 
Cannibalism. Yes, indeed. He cut off pieces from her butt and her thigh. The tender parts. Wrapped them up, took them home to cook for dinner. All right. Uh, you'll see in his crimes, he kind of got lucky because at this time in Germany, apparently in the 50s, 60s, there were a lot of killers on the loose. I'm not sure. Maybe this is a post-war thing. Uh, a lot of killers on the loose. And... Other people were arrested for some of his crimes. One of them was Heinrich Ott. He was arrested for this murder. He killed himself in prison, hanged himself. Um, I guess the you know he knew he was innocent, but he was accused of murder. Or maybe the justice judicial system in that time was not the fairest, but he killed himself. So um, our subject, Joachim Kroll, killed women, all women, except for one time he killed a man, Hermann Schmitz. This was in 1965, so quite a bit later. He basically found uh, these two people in a car, a guy and a girl, uh, Hermann Schmitz and his fiancée, Marion Fein. Uh, they were, whatever, making out and so or having sex. And so what he does, stabs one of the tires with a knife, you know, boom, and it deflates. Man gets out to see what's going on. Uh, uh, Joachim Kroll waves his arms, so, can you help me? And the man says, oh, what's, what's wrong? Then he basically stabs him a bunch of times. His plan was really he was trying to get to the girl. The man was just kind of collateral damage. The girl ran away and escaped. Uh, the only time I think one of his victims escaped. Mm, police, when they're tracking these murders, they see all these murders and they think, okay, some of them are similar, and there's a cannibal involved. But he, each murder scene was a little different. He didn't always cut flesh and, and cannibalize them. He didn't always cut them open. Uh, didn't always rape them, though he usually did post mortem. He said that he preferred taking the cuts of flesh that were the most tender, which apparently are the buttocks and parts of the thighs. So not being a cannibal myself, well, I'm not sure the, the verity of that, but I have to trust the cannibals. Uh, yeah, so these other killers, you know, like I said, were arrested for his crimes. Three, three times other men were arrested for his crimes. Two of them killed themselves. Mm, motivation, okay, behind the cannibalism. Albert Fish, remember from last time, he uh, his motivation was some kind of a weird, uh, you know, sexual thing. Uh, see it as a trophy, consume the flesh. Well, he crawl. The police asked him, "Why did you eat these people? You killed them. Okay, you're a serial killer. Why did you eat them?" He said, "Meat was expensive. He's trying to save on groceries." Um, so whether that was just an excuse or a joke on his part, a sick joke, or whether he meant it, you know, the cannibalism apparently was. Um, not part of the main sexual turn-on for him. It was basically the, the gore. Uh, now, <clears throat> in July, on July 3rd, 1976, he uh, does something really awful. He kidnaps a four-year-old girl named Marion Ketner uh, in a park. I, you know, I, I've taught all my life, and I've taught kids of all ages, everywhere from kindergarten to, to university. I think of four-year-olds, man. Oh, my God, they're so small and innocent and you know, uh, it's just very disturbing. So he takes this poor girl, Marion Kedner, and as usual, he uh, kills her, uh, masturbates over her body, cuts her up, and is going to eat her. Well, here's where he made a mistake. Okay, so the uh, a neighbor, he lives in this apartment building, and in those days, poor people, Europe, you're going to share a bathroom, right? You don't see too much of that in modern, modern U.S., but boarding houses used to have lots of shared bathrooms, even apartment houses. So the neighbor says, hey, the pipes are, blacked, are backed up in the building. The pipes are clogged. Like, is, is there a problem with the toilet? And he, what's blocking it up? And, and Cole says, yeah, it's guts. 
guts are blocking the toilet. I think the neighbor just kind of, oh, ha, make a joke. Uh, so the neighbor goes to the toilet, the communal toilet, looks in and sees, guess what? Little human organs. Yes, parts of humans, a little girl. Cut up. So, pretty sick stuff, huh? The police go, the neighbor calls the police, they go into Kroll's apartment, and he found, they found the girl cut up into different parts, uh, somewhere in the refrigerator. He was, at the time the police came in, he was cooking a stew made from the girl's hand. A hand stew. And guts in the toilet. So they, of course, arrest him, and he immediately confesses. He confesses. Um... They, and apparently what they found in the toilet was that little girl's liver, lungs, kidneys, and heart, right? So he's arrested. He, he openly admits it and tells him, yeah, and there's 13 other murders, too, that I did. Uh, he, he confessed to cannibalism and all this stuff. He cooperated with police openly, no problem, because here's where I wonder if his, his, his lowish IQ played a part. He, he was convinced that what they were going to do is, is locate the bodies then give him some kind of a drug, take away his, his homicidal tendencies, and he'd be cured and be let back into society. Of course, that, that never happened. Uh, in April of 1982, he was sentenced to life in prison. And he died in 1991, not too long ago, at 58 years of age of a heart attack in prison. Okay, I would like to read some of his names of some of his victims just to commemorate them because... We focus a lot of times on the killer and how weird and interesting and bizarre and sick he was. But these are a lot of young people who died at his hands. So we have uh, Irmgard, uh, excuse me, I have to look. Irmgard Streil, Erika Schuletter, Clara Frieda Tesmer, Manuela Knot. I'm doing the German pronunciations. Mm, uh, Petra Giesa, Monika Tafel, Barbara Bruder, Hermann Schmutz, there's the man, uh, Schmidt, sorry. Uh, Ursula Rolling, Ilona Harke, Maria Hettigen, Jutta Rahn, Karin Tüpfer, and Marion Ketter. So, uh, yeah, that's a lot of victims, right? So 14, I believe, was his, his crimes. And he claimed that he killed many more, but there's no evidence either way. He did lead police to the location of some bodies. And on one such occasion, he reenacted one of the murders. The police said, okay, we're going to have someone pretending to be the victim. Show us what you did. But don't hurt the victim or else we're going to shoot you on the spot, of course. So he did. He reenacted one of the murders. And we have photos of that reenactment. It's very disturbing. You see that he, uh, and I'll show these photos for the YouTube for the videos. If you're listening, you can just kind of Google his name. You all can crawl crime scene reenactment and Google images. You'll probably find them. Oh, there go the cicadas again. Great. Great timing, guys. So he, uh, basically, he has this person playing the victim. A woman, he walks up alongside her, he grabs her uh, while she's walking, then he tackles her, and then she's on the ground, he climbs on top, he strangles her, or you know, pretends strangling, and uh, looking at the camera. And that's creepy, man. He's reenacting his crimes. Look how, it never, it never ceases to amaze me how easy it must be for some of these guys to kill. Just walk up next to a girl Hello, how are you? Grab her in the wood, and there she's dead. You know, walking through some trees, kill her, leave her there, it's done. And um, a lot of them get away with it, too. A lot of them get away with it. Yeah, so that reenactment's kind of disturbing. Um, what a piece of work, huh? Joachim Kroll, what do you think? Do you think he was worse than Albert Fish from the last episode? Uh, Fish, to me, seemed more demented. Like, really enjoyed the pain. He loved it. Kroll had more victims, for sure, 
Fish loved pain and violence. Kroll loved pain and violence in other people. Fish loved it in himself. And Kroll had this association with blood and gore and sex, right? And then, of course, cannibalism. Uh, Fish ate human flesh for the pleasure, and Kroll did it to save money on groceries. I return to my questions from last week. Why do serial killers do what they do? Especially someone so vile and extreme as Joachim Kroll. Are they born wrong? I, I like to ask that question, but I wonder, you know? I think some people are born wrong. Just born with something missing. That's what Ted Bundy said. Something's missing. I was born missing something, a part of me. You know, whatever it is in our minds, that, um, in our bodies, our souls, that are, prevent us from killing people, <laughs> and we recognize it as awful, you know, those of us who are not killers. Uh, were they born without that restraint? Or do their usually terrible childhoods lead them to do it? Turn them into something they never would have been? Do they simply make the choice to be evil? You know, to get off on that? Are their brains physically damaged or altered? We know that physically damaged brains can change behavior. I think I'm, what's the guy's name? Phineas Gage, a railroad worker. It's a famous case. Railroad spike went in his brain but didn't kill him. It, it, you know, destroyed a part of his brain and his personality totally changed. He became really mean and dark. I think it's probably a combination of all of those. I don't know. I think, I do think people are, some people are just born wrong. Some people are just born wrong. Albert Fish could be one of those. For, for Kroll, I think something clicked when he saw those pigs being slaughtered. I don't know if he was born wrong, but something about his childhood, his psyche, saw this, this, I don't know, this, this release of killing and death and really liked it. Why did he associate sexual pleasure with gore? I don't know. But then again, I, like I said, some people have paraphilias where they like pain, even bloodletting, right? Sex play, bloodletting. But for them, it's consensual. It's a fetish. Uh, you know, it's they're safe words. They're not actually killing people. But for him, it was different. You know, I'm not sure there's a cut and dry answer, to be honest with you. So the killer caught with human organs in the toilet and a hand on the stove making a stew. Wow, I'd love to hear what you think about this guy, this this horrible killer, Joachim Kroll. You can always email me, matthew.miller.writer at gmail.com. I'll flash it on the screen. Also, please like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube or listening Podbean, uh, Apple, iTunes, whatever you're catching this on. Please like and subscribe. I'd really appreciate that. Now, if you excuse me, it's dinner time and I have something simmering on the stove. Yeah, so I'm hungry. See you next time. Sleep well, if you can.